This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. July 18th, 1918, Grand Duke Sergei Mihailovich sat shackled in a cart, knowing he was being led to his death. Why else would his Bolshevik captors round him and his cousins up in the middle of the night, violently throw them in a cart, and drive them deep into the Ural Mountains? With each passing minute, fear washed over him. He began to plead with his captors, saying, Tell me why. I've never been involved in politics. I loved sports, played billiards, was interested in numismatics. But it didn't matter. He and the others with him, his Konstantinovich cousins, the Tsarina's sister, Grand Duchess Elizabeth, and a few others, were Romanovs. And by the summer of 1918, any Romanov was marked for death. When the cart came to a stop... Sergei and the others were ordered to march across a field. They soon came to an abandoned mine shaft. The guards began blindfolding them one by one. By the time they got to Sergei, panic had overtaken him. This was not how he was going to die, not without a fight. In desperation, Sergei lunged at one of his Bolshevik captors, reaching for his gun. Sergei was shot in the head. His cousins, who had yet to be blindfolded, watched in horror as the Bolsheviks threw his body into the mineshaft. Then, one by one, the other Romanovs were shoved in after him. Deep in the bottom of the pit, Grand Duchess Elizabeth sung a melancholy hymn. Her voice echoed off the mineshaft wall as hand grenades were tossed inside. Six Romanovs were dead in an instant, and more would soon follow. Welcome to Survival, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Irma Blanco. And I'm Tim Johnson. 
Every Monday, we'll take you inside incredible true stories of life or death situations. You can find episodes of Survival and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Survival for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Survival in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we conclude our story of the Vladimirovichi, three brothers who were first cousins to Tsar Nicholas II. They were forced to flee Russia during the Russian Revolution and subsequent civil war. Last week, we followed Kirill Vladimirovich and his brothers, Boris and Andrei, as they navigated the Russian court during Tsar Nicholas II's reign, culminating with Kirill's flight from Russia after his cousin abdicated the throne. This week, we'll follow Boris and Andrei's daring attempt to escape the Bolsheviks while their family members were executed across Russia. As a reminder, prior to the Russian Revolution, Russia went by the Julian calendar. For our story, we will be using the corresponding dates from the more common Gregorian calendar, which is 13 days ahead. At the beginning of March 1917, mass labor strikes and mutinies within the army threw the Russian capital of Petrograd into chaos. For days, the city came to a complete halt as Russians took to the streets to express their anger at Tsar Nicholas II. On March 15th, Nicholas abdicated the throne, bringing an end to the Romanov dynasty. The news sent shockwaves throughout the extended Romanov family. They resented Nicholas and his wife for bending to the commoners by giving up the throne. Many still believed the monarchy would eventually be restored. But the revolution was ongoing, and soon many Romanovs would be forced to follow Nicholas's footsteps by taking pledges of loyalty to the new provisional government. Forty-year-old Grand Duke Kirill Vladimirovich became the first to take the knee when he surrendered the Marine Guard. His youngest brother, 37-year-old Andre, was next when his train was overtaken by revolutionaries. Meanwhile, middle child Boris was placed under house arrest after pro-Romanov letters he had written to his mother were discovered. By June 1917, Kirill took his chance to escape Russia before the Bolsheviks turned their violence on him. With his wife and two daughters at his side, Kirill fled to Finland. From there, he watched his homeland's descent into chaos. Not long after Kirill's departure, the provisional government released both Boris and his mother, Grand Duchess Marie, from house arrest. Evidently, the Bolsheviks no longer considered them a threat to the revolution. For the moment, Boris remained in Petrograd. The violence in the streets seemed to escalate daily. Watching from his home, Boris became increasingly depressed. He knew that life in Russia would never return to his normal. Meanwhile, 1,400 miles away, Andre and the Grand Duchess were still living in their villas in Kislovotsk. While they were glad to be free to roam about the city, they resented having to live off the kindness of others. The provisional government had stripped them and all the other Romanovs of their land and income. 
compared to the extravagant standards they had enjoyed as royals, Andre and his mother were now virtually penniless. Their saving grace was Albert Bertie Stopford, a 57-year-old British antique dealer living in Russia. Bertie and the Grand Duchess had become close friends, and he was determined to make her and Andre's life as easy as possible during this tumultuous time. Throughout the summer, Bertie made several trips from Petrograd to Grand Duchess Marie's villa in Kislovodsk. With each trip, he would smuggle them large amounts of cash in the new provisional currency. To avoid detection by the Bolshevik soldiers, he would hide the money in his boots until he was safely inside the villa. During an August trip, the Grand Duchess told Bertie that she had hidden some jewelry in a safe at the Vladimir Palace before she had been forced to leave. She now feared that the palace had been ransacked and that the jewels were long gone. So on his next trip back to Petrograd, Bertie cased the palace and discovered that while the provisional government was guarding the building, it did not appear to have been plundered. The jewels were likely still inside, in the safe where the Grand Duchess had hidden them. Bertie rushed to tell Boris, the only Vladimirovich brother who was still living in Petrograd. When Boris heard the news, he was determined to recover his mother's jewelry before it was discovered by the guards. He wasn't going to let the riffraff get its hands on the family's heirlooms. Of course, the jewels and the rest of the palace were now considered the property of the provisional government. If he wanted them back, he would have to steal them. Boris and Bertie got to work formulating a plan. Knowing full well that the Russian air was full of pro-working-class fervor, they decided to disguise themselves as average workmen. With the help of a longtime family caretaker at the estate, they were able to access the Vladimir Palace through a kitchen door. Guards stationed around the palace paid no attention to the supposed workmen, who they saw as their comrades. They nodded as Boris and Bertie walked by. The men made their way to the second floor and into Grand Duchess Marie's living quarters. When they got the safe open, neither could believe their eyes. The jewels were completely unharmed. Quickly and carefully, Boris and Bertie filled two Gladstone bags with jewelry and cash from the safe. And when they were done, they simply walked out of the palace. No one was the wiser. Once in the clear, Bertie traveled to London and put the jewels in a safety deposit box. Meanwhile, Boris watched in growing concern as the city of Petrograd inched closer to all-out violence. Fearing a military coup, the provisional government had armed the Bolsheviks. The coup had never materialized, but the Bolsheviks refused to give up their weapons now that they had them. By September, Boris had to accept that his home was no longer safe. After nearly seven months apart, he finally joined his mother and brother Andre in Kislovodsk. While their new situation was a far cry from the grandiosity they were used to, they were not exactly living in squalor. The family spent their days throwing tea parties and luncheons at their villa, relying on the money smuggled in by Bertie and the cash Boris had pilfered from the Vladimir Palace safe. Boris and Andre were soon joined in Kislovoksk by both their mistresses, Russian ballerina Matilda Kshasinska, 
whom Andre had been courting for years, and Zinaida Racheskaya, the daughter of a colonel who had died in the Russo-Japanese War. Now that they were all together, they had to figure out what to do next. Any talk of leaving Russia was instantly squelched by Grand Duchess Marie. She had convinced herself that the monarchy would eventually be restored and that her oldest son, Kirill, would become czar. But a return to monarchy was not exactly what the Russian people had in mind. Throughout 1917, the Russian provisional government proved itself to be weak and ineffectual. For months, Vladimir Lenin, the de facto leader of the radical Bolsheviks, had hoped that his men would seize total power over the provisional government. On November 6th, Lenin ordered the Bolshevik Red Guard to seize control of railways, post offices, and telegraph offices. The next day, the Bolsheviks stormed the Winter Palace, the seat of the provisional government. Miraculously, not a single person died during the armed insurrection, but there was plenty of blood yet to be spilled. In the coming years, the Bolshevik takeover would send hundreds of thousands to their graves. Throughout the fall, the Bolsheviks seized control of Petrograd, Moscow, and all of the surrounding territories. It nationalized the banks and confiscated private estates. But as the Red Army went throughout the countryside, they were met with resistance. Anti-communists, capitalists, and monarchists took up arms against the Reds. This anti-Bolshevik movement became known as the White Army. The Russian Revolution had become the Russian Civil War. In spring of 1918, the Bolsheviks made a costly peace agreement with Germany, handing over large amounts of precious land. The concessions angered many Russian nationalists and even some Marxist revolutionary factions. The public sentiment began to shift in the White Army's favor. Lenin feared that the unpopular treaty and losses to the White Army would inspire a return toward monarchy. To stop that idea before it began, he ordered the Bolsheviks to destroy Romanov monuments in Moscow and increase the Bolshevik presence around the extended Romanov family, including the Vladimirovich brothers. At the beginning of the Russian Civil War, the Vladimirovichi were able to live in relative peace, continuing their luncheons and get-togethers with friends in the region. But by spring, the Bolsheviks had increased their searches of the Vladimirovichis' villas and were frequently confiscating the family's valuables. Though the house searches were bothersome and costly, the brothers believed they were safe. They were Romanovs, after all. But in the summer of 1918, having the Romanov name no longer protected you from danger. Since abdicating the throne, the former czar, Nicholas II, and his family had been held under house arrest by the provisional government. From March until June 1917, they were allowed to stay at the Alexander Palace. Nicholas spent those months writing to European nations in hopes of receiving asylum. As tensions grew across Petrograd, the former imperial family was moved to the town of Tobolsk, nestled in the Ural Mountains. There, they stayed in peace and quiet as they waited for word on whether or not they would be granted asylum. But in May 1918, with Lenin now in full control of the country, 
The imperial family was moved out of Petrograd to the town of Yekaterinburg, 1,400 miles away. There, they were watched over by the Ural Soviets, an even more radical faction of the Bolsheviks. In the middle of June, Nicholas's brother, Grand Duke Mikhail Alexandrovich, became the first Romanov to be executed by the Bolsheviks. He and his secretary, Nicholas Johnson, were driven into the forest outside the city of Perm and shot. Debate continues as to why Grand Duke Mikhail was the first one murdered. Historian Lisa Davidson suggests that it might have been a trial run before executing the rest of the Romanovs. If there was public outcry over the Grand Duke's assassination, the Bolsheviks would know not to continue. If not, then it was taken as permission to kill them all. In the early morning hours of July 17, 1918, Nicholas, Alexandra, their five children and four staff members were awakened by their captors and taken to the basement of the House of Special Purposes. Once inside, the family's death sentence was read aloud. Nicholas protested, but it was too late. Nicholas and Alexandra died almost immediately with bullet wounds to their heads, but the children were still alive. The executioners bayoneted them, but their knives bounced right back. They realized the children had jewels sewn into their clothing. The executioners reloaded their guns and shot them one by one at point-blank range. The last Tsar of Russia and his family were dead. The next day, Nicholas's cousin, Grand Duke Sergei Mihailovich, along with Alexandra's sister and three other Romanov Grand Dukes, were carted to Sinyatia. Once they arrived at an open field, Sergei tried to fight his captors, but he was shot in the head. The rest were pushed down a mine shaft. Hand grenades were tossed in after them. Not long after this wave of murders, the Vladimirovich brothers began to hear rumors that Tsar Nicholas had been executed. The deaths of the other family members had been kept secret, but it was clear that being a Romanov right now was dangerous. Boris and Andre wished they had followed Kirill's lead and gotten out of Russia before the civil war had broken out, but it was too late for that now. And sooner, rather than later, Boris and Andre would be staring down the barrel of a Soviet pistol themselves. Coming up, Boris and Andre face the consequences of staying in Russia. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 1918, the Bolsheviks were losing the Russian Civil War. Fearing that the White Army would rescue the imperial family and put them back on the throne, the Bolsheviks began executing any and all Romanovs. For the Vladimirovich brothers, the writing was on the wall. If they were going to survive, it was time to get out of Russia. Boris, Andre, and their mother were trapped in the spa town of Kislovotsk in the Caucasus Mountains. On August 20th, 1918, they spent the evening eating dinner at their mother's villa, along with their mistresses, Zinaida and Matilda. It was a normal, quiet evening. Until Red Army soldiers stormed the villa. After forcing everyone against the wall, the soldiers began a thorough search of each and every room. What they were searching for is unknown, but they made sure that no stone went unturned. Both Boris and Andre looked to their mother and their mistresses to give them words of assurance. As long as they complied, everything was going to be okay. But the guards moved between them, barring them from speaking to each other. When the search was finished, the soldier in charge stepped before the family and made his announcement. Grand Dukes Boris Vladimirovich and Andrei Vladimirovich were under arrest. As the women protested and wept, Boris and Andrei promised that everything was going to be okay. This wasn't the first time they had been arrested. It wouldn't be long until they were back in their mother's villa, drinking and singing. Boris and Andrei were taken to the State Hotel in Pityagorsk, a town about 30 miles to the east. The men were locked away and interrogated. It became clear that this arrest was different from the previous ones. While the brothers were locked in their rooms, awaiting their fate, their Soviet captors debated what should be done with them. The Grand Dukes, in name alone, represented all that the revolution stood against— If a single Romanov was alive, it could mean a threat to the Soviet cause. There was only one option. Execution. Boris and Andre knew what was coming the moment the Bolshevik executioner entered the room. They could read it on his face. The end was near. The Bolshevik reached inside his jacket. But to Boris and Andre's complete shock... Instead of a gun, he pulled out a set of papers. As the brothers read them, they realized they were identification papers, along with a document outlining a secret mission for the Bolsheviks. The Bolshevik introduced himself as Commissar Leschinsky and admitted that he had indeed been ordered to execute Andre and Boris. But his commanders might have given the task to someone else if they had known that Leschinsky had a history with the Vladimirovich brothers. Before the revolution, Leschinsky had briefly lived in Paris as a struggling artist. During that period, 
His path crossed with Grand Duke Boris Vladimirovich, who was visiting the city on one of his pre-war world tours. Boris had purchased a couple of paintings from the struggling Leschinsky, and while he had long since forgotten the interaction, Leschinsky had not. When he was ordered to execute the man who had supported him in his lowest moment, Leschinsky knew he could not obey. Instead, he was offering to smuggle them out of the city. He even gave them stolen paperwork to help them avoid detection as they made their way out of Russia. Neither Boris nor Andre could believe their luck. Leschinsky stayed with the Grand Dukes until they were clear of the city. After saying goodbye to their savior, they fled into the Caucasus Mountains. Under the cover of moonlight, Boris and Andre trekked through mountains looking for anyone who could help them. Though they were only 30 miles from their loved ones, they knew it was too dangerous to head straight for them, especially since they were supposed to be dead. The brothers eventually found protection with a group known as the Wolves, led by Lieutenant General Andre Shkuro. Originally established as a cavalry regiment in World War I, the Wolves were known for their brutality in combat, as well as their wolf's head banner and howling battle cry. The Wolves were also fiercely anti-communist. After learning about Boris and Andre's plight, the lieutenant was eager to offer them shelter until it was safe to return home. Boris and Andre camped with the wolves for five weeks. Then they finally made their way back to their mother's villa in Kislovodsk. Whatever relief they may have felt seeing their mother and their mistresses was short-lived because upon their arrival, they learned that the Cheka, the Soviet secret police, were closing in on Kislovodsk and executing all enemies of the Bolshevik government. While Boris and Andre were hiding in the mountains with the wolves, turmoil had struck Moscow. On August 30th, 1918, Vladimir Lenin was suddenly struck by a bullet. He was rushed to the hospital and would recover, but the assassination attempt gave the Bolsheviks an excuse to be even more brutal. As September 1918 began, the Cheka was ordered to quell any and all counter-revolutionary efforts using any means necessary. Hiding in covered wagons, the Vladimirovichi, mother and mistresses included, were escorted out of town and back into the mountains. They managed to get out of Kislovodsk the day before it was overrun by Bolsheviks. Allegedly, when the Bolsheviks took the spa town, they forced over a hundred people to dig a mass grave. When the hole was finished, they executed them. The Vladimirovichi party set their course for the coastal town of Anapa. Located on the Black Sea, Anapa was an ideal location. Not only could it provide easy access to a ship to take them away from Russia, but it was also close to Crimea, which at the time was under white army control. But getting to Anapa was easier said than done. They had to journey through roughly 400 miles of war-torn countryside, as well as rugged mountains close to the Black Sea. During the day, they traveled in covered wagons, dodging artillery blasts coming from the Red Army cannons. At night, 
The family slept wherever was most comfortable, usually under the wagons to stay protected. As they tried to sleep, they could hear men singing in the distance. They had no idea whether it was Bolsheviks or white army soldiers. Thankfully, the Vladimirovichi were not alone. Lieutenant Andrei Shkuro and his wolves provided protection on their way to Anapa. The journey lasted several weeks. Finally, the group reached the small village of Tuapsa, where they boarded a fishing trawler and sailed to Anapa. According to Matilda, the refugees were worried that the 64-year-old Grand Duchess Marie would put up a fight upon seeing the fishing boat. But the Grand Duchess's standards had been considerably lowered during her time in hiding. To the complete surprise of everyone, she happily climbed aboard and yelled, what a wonderfully picturesque setting. In the early morning hours of November 4th, 1918, the Vladimirovichi arrived in the still sleeping town of Anapa, which the White Army was in control of. Now that they were safe, the big question became, what next? They knew they still needed to get out of Russia. Just because they had made it out of the mountains didn't mean they were entirely safe. At any moment, the Red Army could advance and capture them. As the days passed, news came that eased some of their worries. World War I had ended. Though Germany still hadn't officially surrendered, on November 11, 1918, an armistice was signed. After over four years of brutal warfare, the fighting had finally stopped. That was enough to put the Vladimirovichi in good spirits. More good news soon followed. Allied troops were being sent to fight the Bolsheviks. At the very least, the family hoped the troops might provide a distraction and make it easier for them to escape Russia. But the Grand Duchess refused to even consider leaving the country. With Allied troops on their way, there was hope that the Red Army would be defeated. Russia was Marie's home, and she would not leave while there was still a chance to see victory. Boris and Andre were at a loss. They pleaded for their mother to flee, even temporarily. But the Grand Duchess refused. So the sons were left with a difficult decision to make take advantage of their situation and leave Russia on their own, or stay behind with their mother and risk another capture by the Red Army. Coming up, the Vladimirovichi come achingly close to freedom while Romanovs continue to die. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love, and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. 
You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Now, back to the story. At the beginning of November 1918, Boris and Andrei Vladimirovich, along with their mother and mistresses, escaped the Caucasus Mountains to the coastal town of Anapa. Not long after they arrived, they learned that not only was World War I officially over, but that Allied troops would be coming to help the White Army battle against the Bolsheviks. For the next several weeks, Boris and Andrei tried to convince their mother to leave Russia, but the Grand Duchess wouldn't hear of it. Andrei refused to leave his mother behind alone, but Boris was growing agitated. He and his mistress, Zinaida Rashevskaya, were desperate to escape Russia and feared that their window of opportunity was disappearing. Eventually, they decided that they were going to go, with or without Grand Duchess Marie. In January 1919, Boris contacted the British representative in Constantinople to request asylum in England. But the British government resoundingly rejected Boris's plea. Historians still speculate as to why the British would refuse a Romanov in dire need. One theory, with some credence, is that they hadn't forgotten the insult Boris made to Major Thornhill back in 1916, when he drunkenly claimed that Russia would be going to war with Britain after they defeated the Germans. Historian Corin Hall points to notes British agents had written in the margins of Boris's case file, lines like, We know His Majesty's wishes on the subject, and I agree, he is no good. Though the denial of asylum left Boris even more frustrated with the British, he remained resolved to find a new European home. By March, Boris and Zinaida packed their bags and boarded a ship for Constantinople. Boris would never again set foot on Russian soil. Andre decided to stay by his mother's side. He knew he couldn't leave her all alone with the Bolsheviks still fighting. For the next few months, they stayed in Anapa, waiting for reports about the White Army's progress. In May, word reached them that the White Army had reclaimed Kislovotsk. With a renewed sense of hope that the Bolsheviks would be defeated, Grand Duchess Marie, Andre, and his mistress Matilda returned to Kislovotsk. For months, the White Army had gained considerable territory, and there was a widespread belief that it wouldn't be long until Moscow fell. However, by the end of summer 1919, Allied troops were pulled from the north. And, very quickly, the White Army began to lose battle after battle. By December, it was clear that the Bolsheviks were going to win the Civil War. Finally, even Grand Duchess Marie accepted 
that there would never be another Tsar to rule over Russia. She decided it was time to leave Russia for good. At the beginning of 1920, Andre, Matilda, and the Grand Duchess fled to Novorossiysk, 30 miles southeast of Anapa. They spent roughly six weeks hiding out in an abandoned railway car. The conditions were horrendous. They slept on dirty, hardwood benches. The family was exhausted from all the travel, and the 65-year-old Grand Duchess Marie was beginning to grow weak. At long last, they managed to secure a ride on the Italian ship Seme Ramida, bound for Venice. On March 3, 1920, Andre boarded the ship with his mother and his mistress at his side. Sailing across the Black Sea, they watched as the Russian coast grew smaller and smaller. Andre Vladimirovich was the last Grand Duke to escape Russia. When they landed in Europe, all three brothers were finally reunited. It had been over three years since Kirill had seen his mother and brothers. The toll of escaping near certain death was evident on all of their faces. Kirill, who had already spent over a decade suffering from PTSD, could see the hell his brothers had gone through. Even once they reached safety, Marie's health continued to decline. Her sons knew that the end was near. At the beginning of September, Grand Duchess Marie finally succumbed to her illness. She left her family the jewels that Boris had smuggled out of her safe years earlier, including the famed Vladimir Tiara. By the fall of 1922, the Red Army successfully won the Russian Civil War, resulting in the establishment of the Soviet Union. Though the Bolsheviks had finally secured total power, that didn't mean peace came to Russia. On January 21, 1924, Vladimir Lenin died. His death created a power vacuum that was soon filled by Joseph Stalin. At least nine million Russians died by Stalin's hand. Some historians believe it was as high as 20 million. Meanwhile, the exiled Romanovs continued to fight for their legacy. In the same year that Lenin died, Grand Duke Kirill Vladimirovich proclaimed that he was now Tsar, a title that no longer held any real power. Though Boris and Andre were vocal in their support for their brother, several other Romanovs were quick to criticize him for the proclamation. Many were still bitter over Kirill's surrender to the provisional government years earlier. To them, this betrayal disqualified him. But despite these criticisms, Kirill spent the rest of his life styling himself as the head of the Romanov family. One can neither choose the family nor the times they are born into. For those born into poverty, life is about surviving one day at a time. And for those born into royalty, life becomes about maintaining the dignity of the family name. Like their Romanov cousins, the Vladimirovichi were born in a time when the masses were tired of royalty. Centuries of austerity gave way to years of bloodshed and chaos. 
Kirill Vladimirovich had the foresight to know that the end of a dynasty was near. He knew that if he remained in Russia, he and his family were doomed. For Boris and Andrei Vladimirovich, their tale of survival relied heavily on sheer coincidence and help from resistance movements. Considering his reputation as a spender, it's likely that Boris never gave much thought to buying street art from a struggling artist while in Paris. But to the artist, it meant surviving one more day. A decade later, the artist's gratitude saved Boris and Andre from a bullet. By the time Andre became the last Grand Duke to leave Russia, 18 Romanovs had been executed. It's hard to defend the crimes Nicholas II committed during his reign, the unnecessary wars, the Jewish pogroms, or the order to shoot peaceful protesters. In many respects, it almost seems as if he was daring Russians to revolt. But the sins of the father shouldn't fall onto the children. There was no reason for the mass execution of the Romanov family, Though they may have represented the failure of a dynasty, they were not a party to policymaking or rule. For five years, the Romanovs were thrust into the position of the peasants who lived under them, fighting every day just to survive. It's a miracle that the three woefully unprepared brothers, Kirill, Boris, and Andrei Vladimirovich, were able to make it through. Thanks for listening to Survival. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Survival and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Survival, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Survival on Spotify, just open the app and type Survival in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Survival was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Survival was written by Joe Guerra with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Irma Blanco and Tim Johnson. 